Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Rob Warner with reporters Fabian Ardaya, Kalen Jones, and recently hired Max Madden. As always, though, we have site publisher Chris Cartman. How are we doing, guys? Awesome. How are you guys doing? Been good. Everything's good. Still recovering from last night's national championship game, that's for sure. Um, yeah, you, that was pretty good. Did you gift so much that you, <laughs> your, your fingers started no, to bother you? No, I couldn't. Two was too good to be gift. Okay. <laughs> he's also lucky. Lucky and good. Yeah. He is lucky, but he's also very Number good. 13. Yeah. How about the class, though, from those guys? It's just insane. Seriously. You, just you get insane. a quarterback, lose his job, Jalen Hurts, and he comes out and just handles it like a boss. He said all the right things after the game, too. said how happy he was for Tua and that he was just excited for the win. He did. We'll have to record uh, Alabama podcast. Never. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Um, now, third podcast of the year. Let's start with some ASU men's hoops. Um, ASU lost to Colorado 90-81 to in overtime this past week. It was their second consecutive loss. Um, what went wrong for the, for the Sun Devils in that game, guys? Well, I mean, you look at the Colorado matchup. Um, what I thought was interesting early on was the fact that um, you know, the ASU kind of got into this comfort level, you know, where, you know, they're up 13 nothing to start the game. Kind of looked, I, I wouldn't say lackadaisical, but I think they got a little bit too ahead of themselves to the point where they just didn't have the muster to really hang on and really overcome a, a really feisty opponent on the road in Colorado. And I, I thought some of the issues inside were interesting. Like, you, you look at how Romello White – I think his hands need to improve in terms of being able to secure the ball inside in the paint. I think he really struggled with that. And I think, what was it, King, I think, who for Colorado who had a really good game, I think he uh, had a, took advantage of you know his inability on the defensive side of the ball. So I, I don't know what to really make of that matchup other than the fact that ASU just didn't shoot the, the ball well and their post play needs to improve significantly. Yeah, and, and Colorado kind of, or ASU kind of ran into a similar team with really good guards. And unfortunately for ASU, they had one guard score 18-plus points, whereas Colorado had three different guards uh, score that way. And so Colorado was ice cold from three-point to start the game. That's what allowed ASU to get out there. And then Shannon Evans also had just a terrible game, 0, of 8 from, 0, of 8, 0 for 8 from three, and Trey Holder just 2 of 9 from three-point range. That's not really how ASU's been winning games this season. I think, Kalen, you touched upon it. They got, they got off to that great start, and I think it was encouraging, especially after some of the shooting woes that they had against that pack line defense at U of A. He thought that, all right, cool. It was just that Juve had a great game. ASU sort of struggled offensively to shoot the ball, but this is just a short-term thing. But after that quick outburst, they looked almost gassed with some of the altitude issues. Obviously, foul trouble was an issue for this entire weekend. Uh, Just the combination of those things. And it was really Trey Holder kind of having to will that team even to get to overtime. Trey Holder and a lot of the effort, just the pure effort plays from a guy like Mickey Mitchell who had the – rebound and the put-back dunk to force overtime. It just seemed like every single thing, they were trying to almost catch up to the level of energy and the level of play that Colorado had, which is something that ASU really hasn't had to do often this year. Well, and the other thing that ASU hasn't had problems with has been its offensive flow and just the ability to uh, generate easy baskets um, and, and a lot of free throw attempts. And that, that's gone away uh or at least been diminished to a great degree against these zones that ASU's now started to run into. You look at this game, ASU had 11 assists on 27 made field goals. That's a very low number. It's atypical. And, and uh, against the 2-3 zone that Colorado was showing, 
um, you need to get to the ball to certain places on the floor to be able to take advantage and play more from an inside out, especially what coaches call the sweet spot, which is the free throw line extended in that half circle. Uh, getting Mickey Mitchell the ball there to where he can drop it off into the low post. You get the kick out for higher uh, percentage jump shots. Uh, it was touched on earlier by Max. You, uh, Shannon Evans, 0 of 8 from 3. Trey had a, uh, a bad shooting performance, 2 of 9. Uh, and I think a big part of that is the caliber of shots. Now, Bobby Hurley says, well, I like my guys and I like my shots, but not all shots are equal. And especially when you're not really shooting the ball effectively, you want to get a higher percentage, higher quality look by collapsing the defense internally through the heart of his own. Uh, I think Hurley said after that game that, that uh, he probably didn't do enough to prepare his players for the types of defenses that they're going to be seeing. Uh, a lot more probably this season as the year unfolds. And that was a good example of um, you know having to now prepare for something that's different, and it was it was a, a tough kind of road environment. Even though the team was practicing with those altitude masks uh, the the week before, it, it seemed like it was still a tough test for them to to as we saw the way they shot the ball, just didn't seem as clean as they have been uh, mostly. Bench um, problems and because yeah. because of the I mean you have to play your starters so many minutes. All these guys in an overtime game right. are playing over thirty minutes and and. Uh, Kamani Lawrence, four minutes. Vitaly Scheibel plays seven minutes. Daquan Lake, ten minutes. And Colorado has uh, a deeper bench and playing more and getting more from those guys. So I think ASU was gassed trying to catch up, as Fabian was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. playing from behind, having to struggle just to kind of keep yourself in there. And with that depth, like Max was talking about, Colorado had four guys in double figures where ASU did not. Um, Colorado fans stormed the court. I thought that was interesting just because I can't remember the last time I've seen anybody storm anything over ASU. I don't know about you guys on that one. I don't blame them either. Like, you know, you take advantage of the chance to court storm against a top five team. And, it, you know, I, I think, Chris, like, I, I retweeted something and then you, you quoted it and you are mentioning how, like, it, it's still a bad sign because, I mean, obviously it's a loss. Jeff but, Goodman. Yeah, Jeff Goodman for you. Yeah, and he's had a rough week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Man, Jeff Goodman's struggling. <laughs> yeah. Stuck in Lithuania. But, um, I, I mean, it, it, if you're an ASU fan, I think you, you should kind of maybe not necessarily take pride in it, but, I mean, you look positively at the fact, okay, yeah, your team, and really, in my opinion, I think they're ahead of schedule in a lot of ways, and I think that's something that people, you know, don't really take into consideration, maybe the fact that they are, you know, not really the the fact that I think they are, but they definitely are, like, a year ahead of schedule. Like, Bobby Hurley, uh, this team was projected to be, what, sixth in the Pac-12 this year, if not a bottom feeder, and they ended up really one of two teams in this week's eight people that ends up ranked, so... Jeff Goodman you just take that in stride. Goodman made like a point that's that was semi-valid. Like, uh, yeah, it does reflect on ASU being in a different place than people expected before the season. But then again, any top five upset by a team that's not very good is going to lead to you know people storming the court. Right. Colorado had lost six of eight games uh, leading up to that. They had lost one of their best players. They were sort of reeling. And then they all of a sudden hit this lightning in a bottle situation where they had this really good uh, weekend um, that worked out great for them. And and, and also that illustrates just how tough it is to play on the road in the Pac-12. It's very hard to get uh, road sweeps, never mind just just winning one game. And ASU rebounded pretty nicely from that game into a a tough game at Utah where they hadn't won since Utah joined the Pac-12 in 2011. Um, they won that game 80-77 despite um, a lot of fouls in that game. Uh, 31 fouls on ASU leading to 36 Utah free throws. Utah committed only 19 fouls. 
Um, Shannon Evans kind of broke out of his slump as well in that game with 22 points, 5 of 7 from from 3, which was pretty big for him after missing 15 consecutive three-point attempts. Cody Justice added 20. Um, How did you guys think they bounced back from that tough environment in Colorado? Well, if you have three guys fell out and Trey Holder has a bad shooting night, that's a recipe for disaster for Arizona State, and they won the game on the road, which says a lot of maybe what this team possibly is capable of, that maybe it can sort of overcome a lot of those adversities. I think I tweeted after the game, it's a maturity win. It shows that maybe this team has sort of grown a lot. It's a senior-led group, and I think that's something you could tell a lot just based off of some of the performances. Shannon Evans really having no fear and sort of just balling out. Uh, Cody Justice had a great game. Trey Holder, even though he was kind of quiet, was still pretty doing a pretty good job as a distributor, especially getting the ball into Mickey Mitchell in a lot of those zone situations. And Arizona State sort of just battled, especially playing the last five minutes with got nobody taller than six foot seven on the floor while Utah had complete size mismatch. I think it was – I was honestly shocked ASU managed to pull that game out. I was, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, Romello White had a shocking six minutes on the court uh, in Utah, and they were still able to pull off the victory. And, you know, a lot of what ASU has been able to do this season as opposed to last season is teams have kind of had to respect them underneath the post, which is opening up a lot of more open looks for their guards. Well, they didn't really have that unless, you know, teams are looking to Mickey Mitchell who played 30 minutes to, uh, you know, really have, you know, a lot of respect in the post. But just to finish with, you know, what was it he had three points and one rebound across six minutes that's the fourth time this season that he's pretty much disappeared not managed double digits in either points or rebounds uh, and each of the times that they that he's done that Trey Holder has bailed him out with 20 points and so he did not do that in this game and so that's why you know to Fabian's point it's definitely it's pretty shocking they won this game I think you guys really nailed it um you look at the fact that you know ASU has been able to call themselves guard you for you know the better half or I guess the through non-conference play but in the past couple of matchups we've seen what happens when you know if you probably have had Trey Holder show up for the first two matchups and in this matchup against Utah you you were able to get Shannon Evans back and Cody Justice play up to a pretty high level but I I question whether or not that trio can find a way to really consistently play well together moving forward I, I mean we've seen splashes of it but I think that you're going to need the consistency to be there with this unit from all the way around and Fabian to your point I know that in a sense it's a maturity win but at the same time I, I think you, you kind of got to get lucky and uh, not to say that they're not not to take anything from them but I mean the pull out a win where again like you guys mentioned like they had all three of the big men foul out you're playing mostly with the guard lineup um, you had 31 fouls in the game. I think that's probably more of a conference-wide issue. But um, I, I think that you're going to need consistent play again out of Romello White and out of those three guards until they can put something together in conference play. I, I think those are the big. I think that's probably the biggest question for this group moving forward. That 31 fouls is the most by ASU in the last 11 years, according to Doug Tamro, ASU media relations in a regulation game, uh, and just the idea that ASU would somehow win on the road at Utah where it's really struggled, losing all five games and, and four of those by 20 or more points uh, since Pac-12 uh, expanded with Daquan Lake and Vitaly Scheibel and Romello White combining for 30 minutes with all three of those guys fouling out is almost like a mind-blowing thing to me. It's, it's, it's hard to... If you had proposed that as the scenario before the game, anybody would have thought ASU would lose badly uh, 
in this game, uh, given the other things that we're talking about here. And yet, even with Trey Holder having an off night, making three field goals and 11 points, uh, and Cody Justice, one of six from three-point range. I mean, somehow ASU found a way to win this game, shooting 33% from the, from the floor. Um, as gritty as you probably are going to see from a team this season. And that just kind of goes to show you what happens if you have a a really good basketball team. You can win ugly. You can win with guys fouling out. You can win things that you're typically doing well not really working. Uh, All that was on display in this game. But I would again say, just like with Colorado, ASU's got to do a better job of attacking zone defenses. And Utah's was a little bit different. They made it harder to get the ball to that sweet spot area of the court. But there were no diagonal passes. There was no there was no taking advantage of the baseline where there was a lot of ability there to run somebody underneath. And, and, uh, and then ASU uh, is going to have to figure out uh, a, a, more, a better way uh, to hard hedge ball screens because you had two fouls by Lake on the perimeter. And, and ASU really didn't do a good job with that at all. But for ASU to emerge with a split on the road there um, is almost Pac-12 saving in terms of their chances to win this league, I would say, because 0-3 is, is almost too big of a hole to really pull yourself out of. You need a lot of luck if you if you start 0-3. You need some of the best teams to, to lose games that, you know, it's just tough to rely on. And that Utah team a year ago went 20-12, 14-4 at home. So it was a big win for them. Um Nonetheless, though, ASU fell to number 11 in the AP poll from number 4. Um, 18 of 25 ranked teams lost this past week. Did you guys think ASU dropping to 11 was fair? I mean, I think the one gripe is the team that's directly in front of them is Xavier, a team that Arizona State has already beat. Uh, but, yeah, I thought ASU would still stay in the top 10. I think they'd be closer to the 8-10 to 10 range just because, yes, it was a tough loss, but also Colorado almost semi-proved itself by also beating Arizona the next time it came out. Like you mentioned, 18 of the 25 ranked teams lost this week. This AP poll, I think a lot of the AP voters are still trying to figure out this Arizona State team. I think that's something that they'll definitely do during conference play, but let's face it, I think I feel like a lot of people haven't watched this ASU team, and when they have, it's been it's hard to gauge. So uh, it's hard to gauge where this team is going to be ranked any given week. Yeah, to that point, Fabian, I think that a lot of possible you know national ap voters haven't seen a lot with asu so they don't know exactly what they're going to do but uh you know i think that maybe some voters have just sort of been waiting for their chance to to knock asu down i'm not sure that a a ton of them were super comfortable having them in their top five for as long as they were chris touched on it a little bit on twitter talking about historical bias why why they weren't you know even number one you know as far as far as 12 games in so i think that, that that maybe that played a factor a lot of these voters were finally given their chance to realistically put ASU outside the top 10. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, and to your guys' point, I, I guess this it isn't fair in the sense that ASU gets dropped out of the top 10. I think maybe it's a more realistic projection of where they are as a team. Maybe that's why I don't have too much of a gripe with it because I think ASU is still on that fringe tier. I wouldn't call them like a top five team at this point. After the two losses, they're probably a fringe top 10 team. So overall, cohesively, I, I think they're this is a fair – you know, judgment if you're going to say pull, but based on, and Chris touched on it, like you mentioned on Twitter, like the, the way that voters are supposed to look at objectively, look at the full body of work. I think when you look at the fact that they beat Xavier, beat Kansas, uh, went toe to toe with Arizona, who again was a top three team before the preseason poll. Um, I, I'm kind of shocked that they fell all the way out of the top 10, but realistically, 
maybe uh, unobjectively, I'd say this is a fair uh, marker of where they are. You know, at, the, at the end of the day, RPI modeling matters more than the right. AP poll anyways. Mm-hmm. ASU's ninth in the RPI and uh, among the top 10 teams that has the second worst strength of schedule, but it has a very competitive st- strength of schedule at 43 overall. You have a lot of teams that are um, one or two lost teams in, in college basketball and really sort of delineating between those teams in terms of tiers is very hard. There's a lot of parity in college basketball. I, I talked to coaches around the country who have said this is a good year to be a borderline top 10 team or a top 15 team because you actually can make a, a deep run given that pretty much anybody is beatable on any given night. Uh, and, and so I, I would say the, the the key takeaway on ASU is that it doesn't matter whether it's ranked 11th or 9th or 8th or 15th. Uh, ultimately, as long as it is competing for seeding in a way that puts it in a favorable position going to that tournament where you're a 1, 2, or a 3 seed, mm-hmm. uh, that then you're in a great situation. Once you start getting to like the 5th seed, then you're going to have bigger problems. Um, so the whole key is just kind of taking advantage of what that that non-conference schedule gave you of 12 wins and then uh, not losing games that you shouldn't and definitely not losing at home. Uh, and if they do that, they'll sustain fine and, and they'll be there at the end of the season in a, in, a, in a position where they can win a few games in the tournament. And Chris touched on it just, to, just for a little bit about how, how crucial it is to not start 0-3 in Pac-12 play. No team that's ever started 0-3 in Pac-12 play has gone on to win the league one team did it, or the last team that did it when they went 0-2 was Arizona. Um, but ASU still rolling 13 wins to, to start the year, 13-2 and now. And they actually are adding seats in Wells Fargo Arena to accommodate more more people to watch the games, trying to get uh, more of a, a home crowd environment. Um, they're bringing in the top six to eight rows back into play. Um, do you guys think this is going to have an impact in the, the volume and actually having these seats, or do you think there's a chance that these are going to be empty seats. They'll probably mostly be empty, but you'll, but you'll have some of it occupied. Um, the bigger games, of course, you'll have more Arizona or UCLA uh, when it comes to town. Ultimately, um, I'm not a big proponent of having the larger size. I think the more intimate environment where all the seats are full is probably better in the long run. I still would advocate in ASU's re- renovation of Wells Fargo having a smaller capacity of maybe ten or 11,000. Uh, but it, it's certainly a sign, Rob, just given that uh, ASU basically had a 21-22 win season in 2008-09 and then still in 2010, or I should say in 2009-10, and then by December of 2010, they were still reducing the capacity by more than 3,000 because they only had 50% capacity uh, from that, that previous season that was occupied. Now, ASU's had games this season uh, that aren't particularly big draws you wouldn't expect. Uh, Vanderbilt was basically a sellout, and then they had a game right before Christmas that had uh, 9,500 or so fans that normally would be like a 5,000, 4,000. So there, there's, there's a different sort of vibe around ASU basketball that you definitely um, – that we haven't seen in a very long time. I, I go back to uh, uh, ASU Sweet 16 team in 94, 95. There were student lines for like several hours outside the door, and ASU averaged more than 10,500, I think, in conference play. Uh, this sort of has a feeling of that. 
And Arizona State has uh, average home attendance uh, of 7,919. Chris wrote about that in an article just touching on the, the new seats. Um, it's, it's currently third in the Pac-12 behind Arizona with over 14,000 and Utah with over 12,000. So definitely not close to the top, but giving the chance to have more people come to the games is, is going to be interesting to see. Um, so Oregon, Oregon State playing here at Wells Fargo Arena this weekend. Um, Oregon 11-5, one and two in Pac-12 play. They just lost to Oregon State in the Civil War game. It was at Oregon State. Um, what do you guys kind of expect just quickly about those games? Well, this definitely isn't last year's Oregon team. They lost a lot of pieces uh, from that Final Four team. But uh, still competitive. Dane Altman is one of the better coaches, I believe, in the Pac-12 as far as being able to coach to what his teams are able to do. Peyton Pritchard, the guy who let, who was the point guard for that Final Four team last year, is back. They they have a lot of talent. And Oregon State, they're, they're miles ahead of where they were last season where injuries pretty much wrecked that entire team. Uh, Trace Tinkle, the son of uh, Wayne Tinkle, is back on the team. Steven Johnson Jr., they have some talent, and I think that win over Oregon last week sort of proved that this is a pretty balanced team. I think that's sort of the tale of the Pac-12 this season. That there's a lot of, not necessarily parity, but every team can be any team on any given night. And uh, Tayshawn Cherry, a little tease for everybody, is Tayshawn Cherry confirmed on Twitter he's going to be making an official visit to Arizona State. Um, pretty big. He's This Thursday. Uh, this Thursday. This Thursday he's going to make the visit. He is... Uh, Chris wrote a little article about it on SunDevilSource.com, which you guys can all check out. Um, he's a, a six foot eight, two hundred ten, two hundred ten pound forward um, uh, from El Cajon, California. Did I pronounce that right, Chris? Yes. And um, he's the second highest uh, ranked unsigned small forward in the class by Two Forty Seven Sports, number seven overall um, at his position. Um, so that could be another big uh, signing that we hear about soon. But we're going to touch on uh, recruiting more in the premium podcast. So for reporters Fabian Ardaya, Max Madden, Kalen Jones, and Sun Devil Source, uh, site publisher Chris Cartman, I'm Rob Warner. Thanks for tuning in.